it's time to go beyond the locker room talk and listen in with me, GB, producer Jay, former patients and current friends of our own Cornell-trained, world-renowned urologist and surgeon, Dr. Michael Hyman. Let's talk about the issues on men's minds where no topic's out of bounds on another sit-down with two men and a doc. Hey guys, how's it going today? Doc? I'm here, I'm ready, I'm rearing to go. Producer JT, how are you? GBM, good. Good. good, it's good to see you guys. Good. What have you got teed up for us today? Well, we have our very first listener question. Ah. Wait, our first listener or our first listener question? It could be both. It could be both. I don't know. And, you know, for those of you that want to ask a question, this is what happens. that You get free consultation from the doc and really meaningless commentary from the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you can do that at uh, mail at two, mail, two men and a doc.com. Mail at two men and a doc.com. You can tweet at us now as well. Did you know that? Oh, tweet. how do they do that? They, I don't even know. Do they? Is there? They tweet at. Is it like the hashtag two men in a doc? Yeah, you, you're both sounding like grandpas. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. You, this has got to be. This has got to be edited out. I just I dug myself into a yeah, deep hole. Yeah. I edit nothing. Right. Right. Oh, no, this geez. has totally got to be edited. That's bad. That's bad. <laughs> Except my all own, right, my own bad jokes. Delete that. All right, it's okay. deleted. All right, let's hear the question. All right. So, so Jay was up all night writing this question. <laughs> I tweeted it at myself. Actually, that's what I did. Okay, so um, we have a question from a listener in Florida. And uh, the subject grabbed my attention right away. No pun intended. It said, strangled penis. Oh. So, Doc, here's what he writes. Um, I listened to your podcast and uh, wanted to ask you, a friend in college with a foreskin, okay, with a foreskin. Uncircumcised. That's the medical term. There you go. Um. And, uh, sorry, a friend in college with a foreskin went to the hospital either the day after losing his virginity or shortly thereafter because, as he put it, his foreskin was strangling the tip of his penis and causing worsening discomfort. And then he says, what was going on there? So he has has something called a paraphimosis. 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 And um, which should not be confused with another term or condition called phimosis. So there's phimosis and paraphimosis. And these are not particularly unusual conditions that can occur uh, among men with foreskin intact. Um, By the way, another, uh, the the medical term for foreskin, prepice. Turtleneck? Prepice. (laughs) P-R-E-P-U-C-E. Turtleneck. Yes, yes. Like Preface. we might th- we might talk about the prepucial wait, wait, wait. surface. So if somebody says oh you're God. if yeah. somebody says you're preppy, <laughs> what exactly does that mean? Maybe that's where that term came from. I have no idea. It was a, it was an uncircumcised dude who came up yeah. with preppy. But anyway, um, are you preppy? Um, actually, I'm not. Oh. <laughs> um, that is, I am circumcised. Yeah. So there you go. Now but you know something private yeah, about me. Yeah. But Jay, I like that polo you're wearing today. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so what can happen is my V neck. Um, you know, I'll tell you, I actually just had a consultation about this last week where um, a young uh, a young guy, well, really, he was, a, he was really still a, a pediatric uh, age, 16 years old, so under 18, still, still pediatric, came in with his parent, 
and the complaint was, um, you know, he's gone through puberty. Did he come in with his mother or his father? He came in with his mother. His mother. And so did he disclose this to his he, mother? He did. He, he What was he going to do? He had to talk about it. So he came in and he said, Kudos you know. Kudos to him. That's yeah. being pretty open well, with Well, when you find mom. out what's going on, like basically what happens to everybody, most guys except for GB when they go through puberty start, you know, masturbating. GB kind of, you know, has a lot of control, folks, so he didn't really engage in that at all. But at the point being, <laughs> just gotta, there's a flashback episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, he had to. Um, he noticed that when he was, you know, trying to pull back his foreskin, he really couldn't do it. It was just too tight, and that can happen, especially for some. And the mom feels guilty, and she's like, "Did he you know, show this to his mom?" He he. I don't know if he showed this to his mom, GP. I really don't know what he did with his mom. But what happened was when the mother explained that, look, when he was really little, the pediatrician said, oh, you're supposed to pull it back and clean it. And 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 lots of young mothers with newborns are told to do this. They, In fact, all of them should be told to do this. Um, but she always found that we try, when she tried to do it, it was causing a lot of pain for him. And so she just stopped doing it. So um, so as he came through puberty, like it just got worse and worse. And now, of course, he's trying to, you know, be more sexually active with his penis and he can't pull the foreskin back. So in any event, in his case, he had phimosis, which means that he really could not pull back the foreskin. Although I will tell you that when I examined him, you know, there's phimosis and there's phimosis. There's situations where the foreskin is literally like you cannot pull it back at all, no matter how hard you try, even really? if it was going to cause pain. Wow. And then there's phimosis where you can pull it back. And I was able to ultimately pull it back, but it hurt. He was it was causing him pain. And then I was able to bring it back. So, over. so this can so constrict. His, this is like this is like gonna, a tourniquet. We're going to get to that. Yes. So in his case, um, you know, there are different ways to try to treat that. But he'll probably wind up needing a circumcision. That's going to be the treatment. And in the case of the paraphimosis, it was probably similar with your listener who wrote the email, which is that they probably had some tightening of the foreskin. Um, and so they started to have sex and while they were having sex, the foreskin retracted, it pulled down to the, you know, what we call the Corona, which is the, the part of the, just where the, um, behind the head of the penis. Um, we actually, that little, um, sort of where the head of the penis goes to the shaft of the penis, we call that the Corona or the coronal sulcus. And if this foreskin gets pulled back to that point and it bunches up there, it does constrict, um, especially if it's a tight foreskin, and it will constrict very, you know, very much to the point that the head of the penis, if it's left pulled back like that, it, the head of the penis will start to swell. And so you get this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy, more swelling, mm -hmm. more difficult to pull it over, more swelling becomes almost impossible to pull it over. And it's it, and then of course it can constrict it so much that the blood supply gets cut off. Oh and then you GB, by the way, is looking at pictures on his phone. So we can imagine <laughs> what he's looking at. And it can it can um, choke off the blood supply. And if you lose your blood supply that you can use your imagination, but it ain't too good for the tissue oh to lose. <laughs> he's still but looking my, at pictures. My question is, um, let's just assume that this is not the first 
sexual experience this guy has had. Okay. You know, it's it's a first with another right. person. Right. But maybe not the first ever. So right. why did it happen on this night? You and know, it's why is this night different than all other nights? <laughs> <laughs> it's um I mean, I can't tell you that for sure. I can tell you that he may have been able to masturbate and not and do it in such a way that he didn't have to fully retract his foreskin like he could masturbate mm-hmm. and he could do it in a way where because didn't you say this was his first time having yeah. intercourse yeah so he might be able to masturbate and partially full, pull back the foreskin not to the point that it was coming all the way back to the coronal sulcus and so he was able to masturbate and have an orgasm and whatever but now he's having sex and he's not really you know he's not really you know being as strategic about mm-hmm. how much foreskin getting pulled back he's just having sex and when it's over it's possible when it first happens and it gets pulled back in fact he may have felt a little pain when he first started having sex well actually here's what i would say when he first started in their relation in in that act when he first started penetrating he may have felt a little pain when it pulled all the way back and then he may have stopped feeling pain because it was just it was back it was pulling fully pulled back. And then he had a great, you know, experience. He had an orgasm and he may have not started to feel the discomfort. Those details were not in the email. I understand that. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of, you know, okay. making this up. And then maybe an hour, not- maybe, maybe a half hour later, then the constriction started to cause the swelling and then the swelling started to cause pain. And it's so constricted that the blood can't even come out at all. Like it can, can't even well, lose the erection. Well, uh, Oh, oh, no, no, now you're talking about something else. So, no, he can, he can just have his, his orgasm and the erection will go down, but the foreskin still pulled back. So the head of the penis starts to swell. It's the head of God. Yeah, it's just the head of the penis. Yeah, that makes sense. And so then he goes to an emergency room and then you have to ask, well, what are they going to do? I'm going to guess an emergency circumcision. So there are, generally we don't do that, but sometimes it comes to it. Most of the time what we can do is we can, and I think some emergency room doctors can do this and urologists certainly are trained to do this. There's actually a maneuver where you actually can, and this is going to sound a little painful for some people. If you get lightheaded for this discussion, you better plug your ears. What we do is we, we see that swollen head of the penis and we, we, we squeeze it. We squeeze the fluid. It's all basically what's called a demitus fluid. It's like swelling and we squeeze the fluid out of the head of the penis. Okay. And you, you, squeeze it, you don't you, use a needle. No, you compress it with your hand. You squeeze with a gloved hand, of course, and you squeeze the head of the penis for about five minutes by the clock, maybe less two, three minutes by the clock. Okay. And it's hurt. It's painful when you do that. He, he is definitely not happy. But once you've done that for two to three minutes, you've kind of squeezed out all that fluid. And now you can actually push the head of the penis back and flip the oh. foreskin hmm. over it. Thus, reducing the paraphimosis and resolving it for him. But then you will tell him at that point, listen, you got to understand this is going to happen again and you probably need a circumcision. There's a real quick, there's another maneuver we'll sometimes do emergently called a dorsal slit. And that is not a great outcome for people because it's really unattractive. But if they're in trouble and they can ultimately get a circumcision later, but it's basically making a cut in the foreskin on the top of the penis, not on the bottom side where the urethra is, because that could cause problems urinating. But on the top side, you can make a cut, and it'll kind of result 
in being able to pull it back over, but you're gonna end up with this sort of V-shaped defect in your foreskin or like an inverted A if you're looking down hmm. um, at the top of your penis where you made that cut. It's gonna split open and then make like this inverted hmm. um, A or a V-shape. So that's the paraphimosis story. Now, if I have to ask, if there's an emergency circumcision that's required, Yes. Do hospitals have like bagels and locks ready <laughs> just in case? <laughs> and the rabbi? Yeah, it seems it seems appropriate. Yeah, you got to have the rabbi. Um, so that's the that's the paraphimosis story. All right. There you go. That's now good. You know. Yeah, and, and and according to this, if it's left untreated, it can result in gangrene. Well, gangrene and, is and, basically and the, the and and ultimately the amputation. Well, yeah, or, or or one would call that auto amputation, which means when you have a gangrenous any oh. kind of gangrenous, like if you have a gangrenous finger, like you put a tourniquet at the base of your finger really tight, after about say ten to fourteen days, I'd say your finger will just fall off. Wow. And that's called auto amputation um, because the tissue is just dead. Hmm. Yeah. So that can happen. All right. Well, thanks for the question. Our listener in Florida, please bring them on at mail at twomenandadoc.com. It is Men's Health Awareness Month, for those of you that aren't aware. So I thought we've uh, got sort of this like mini episode that we're doing right now on a question, and I thought we would look at some of the things that men should be doing this month or thinking about, um, because that's what awareness is all about. So, Doc, I've got a list. You okay. ready? I'm ready. All right. Switching gears a little bit. Um, so these are the health... This is from Men's Health Magazine. Okay. The health screenings all men need at every age. Okay. At every age. So what they've done is they've broken it out. So I'm going to give you a head start. Okay. I'm going to tell you what they suggest. Health screenings you need in your 20s and 30s. So, okay. You know, look, this show is about men at every age, and these are the things you need to think about if you're in your 20s and 30s. Got it. So I'll give you these, and then you'll have to think about the next ones. Okay. So blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes and STDs. These are the screenings they think you should have. So okay. blood pressure is fairly straightforward. Okay. Um, cholesterol. Me meaning is screenings, nothing's necessarily going wrong with your right. body. There's no symptoms. These are just things that annual physical you, you should be getting checked. Right. And okay. if there's one thing I've learned on this show, and I've learned more than one, is that you really do have to listen to your body. And um, sometimes just getting a screening is the first step. So cholesterol is a blood test generally, right? Yes, it is. Interesting that even in your 20s and 30s, it's something you should be looking at because some, that's genetic, right, it's for some people. so Well, I mean, there's genetic factors and there's diet factors. Right. So if you're 25 and all you do is eat, you know, uh, right. greasy burgers and, funions. and, yeah. and, and, and <laughs> funions and, uh, you know, heavy cholesterol-laden eggs all the time and stuff like that or, you know, just... Hey, give eggs a break. Well, no, no, but my point is the opposite, that you could be the healthiest person going and you should still get your cholesterol. Check. That is true, too. Okay. That is true, too. So diabetes, um, mm -hmm. also a blood test? Um, generally speaking, yes. Uh, there's what we call the poor man's way of looking for diabetes, which is just doing a urinalysis. So hmm. if they see sugar, any degree of sugar in the urine you're at a very high potential of having diabetes. Hmm. If they just screen you with a urinalysis and that little dipstick test picks up oh, not sugar. A, it's not a taste test, you're telling me. Ah, you know, it's <laughs> funny you say that. When I was, uh, I remember when I was in high school, my high school teacher wanted me to, uh, to uh, he, he wanted me to dip my finger into, the, uh, into this little cup of urine that he was going to tell the class was his. But then he said, but I'm really just putting apple apple juice in there. And I said, I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> good. That's good. 
Um, and then last one in your 20s and 30s is STDs. Mm-hmm. So just a screening. Um, yeah, because some STDs, your carrier, your carrier. So mm. you don't necessarily, you know, I think that's a little bit of a stretch. It depends on, you know, like, for instance, there, there are some very sophisticated um, tests you can do for, you know, determining if you're a carrier for gonorrhea and chlamydia, where they take your urine and they extract the DNA in the urine and they match it with gonorrhea and or chlamydia. But they're not going to screen you for that. That's a very sophisticated what, test. What, what is gonorrhea? Gonorrhea is a bacteria, and it causes urethritis. And, and it's a bacteria is in, inside or on the outside? It's inside. It's in the urethra. And it's how, inside and the how, urethra. How do you know if you have Sexually transmissible. Like I said, sometimes you're just a carrier. So if you've had unprotected sex, especially, you know, getting to back to what JT was saying— it, it's it's going to be a screening that will come out of a careful history. So if the person says, yeah, I'm really promiscuous, I have sex with multiple partners, et cetera, um, then you might consider screening this person if they're a carrier. Now, they could be symptomatic, which means they're not a carrier. They're actively infected, and they might complain of burning with urination. They may complain of a discharge, things like this. But you could be a carrier and not even know. Correct. Is that is that kind of like the HPV virus? Correct. That's right. You could be a carrier for HPV and transmit it, which is probably the vast majority, and and you know you wouldn't have any warts. So HPV, folks, is, by the way, is genital warts. It's the virus that causes genital warts, not a bac- bacteria, but a virus. I see. But isn't that the one that also causes cancer? It mostly it's an it's a cancer concern for women, not right. really for men. For men, it's really just a skin condition with extremely rare exceptions. For women, it is a very considerable concern for developing cervical cancer if they contract HPV. But is this the HPV, the human papilloma, papilloma virus? virus yeah. But that's not an STD, is it? It is. It is. Yes. So what? What's what's the um, injection? Although I should re- I should say that it's also human papillomavirus that can cause like you know other types of warts on your body, like on your hands, but that is not the same as genital warts. It's a different virus. It's a different subset of the human papillomavirus. So there are many different types of HPV. But what's what's the um, shot or the inoculation that they recommend? Right teenagers get yeah that's a that's a um a uh um vaccination and they can get a a vaccination that will help prevent not 100 percent effective but definitely substantially reduce the chance that they can get the genital form of hpv but it's not something that one should get screened in their 20s or 30s um i mean i think it's not, it, it is because I think, first of all, people in their 20s and 30s are, of course, more promiscuous. They're becoming much more sexually active. And when it comes to HPV, it is far and away the most um, prevalent STD or STI, sexually transmissible infection or disease, however you want to term it. Uh, term it. it is the most prevalent. Um, in I believe in the world, but definitely in the United States, uh, roughly I think the numbers are something like seventy percent of uh, sexually active individuals have been um, known to have 
uh, HPV, something mm. like that, in, in, in skin biopsies. Wow. Yeah, it's that's, really, that's, really prevalent. That's why they're wow. pushing this vaccine so hard, and it, it's an epidemic. There's no question. And and it is reasonable to screen for it because a lot of people don't realize they have it, especially women, but also men. So men, they may have this little bump on their penile skin, and they just shrugged it off. They didn't realize that, oh, that's genital warts. I, you know, it's just like a single one or something, and just said like, oh, it's been there for a couple of years, hasn't changed, I just didn't think it was anything and women on the other hand they can't look inside themselves they need like a speculum you need to have a practitioner to actually look inside and look at the surface of their cervix or maybe part of their vagina sometimes it can be on the outside but most women are not self-examining and looking at like the labia and stuff like that they don't want to know what's going on down there frankly and so you need to have a physician or some kind of um you know uh, physician's assistant or nurse practitioner or some kind of healthcare practitioner look down there and tell her if she has genital warts. And then for, is it in oral sex that men can then transmit it to their partner? Oh man, I forget if that, how that works, but I, I do think, um, cause I've heard some about, th- I thought yeah. throat cancer was part of this. I think I- you're right. I think, and that's come up. In fact, you know, you know why I know this and I'm not saying anything I'm not supposed to say cause it's totally public in the internet. But recently I watched the show, The Kaminsky Method. Have you heard of that mm-hmm. show with Michael Douglas? And I noticed that he, on this show, his, his sort of vocalization is definitely altered from the Michael Douglas I remembered. So I looked it up and I, and I remembered there was something about laryngeal cancer. And he indeed, had cancer, yeah. he had laryngeal cancer, which is like throat cancer. He got radiation for it. And he has publicly come out and said that a major part of this was because he was engaging in oral sex with women for much of his youth. And he has been told that that is, was a huge risk factor. And in fact, it's, it's a lot of that has been validated because he responded so well to treatment. Um, You know, he had an exquisite response. He's basically cured. And normally laryngeal cancer is lethal. It's almost impossible to cure, but the ones that are contracted from this type of, you know, cause, um, are much more treatable. And so it really adds credence to his uh, suspicions. Hmm. And there should be no concern about autism and this vaccination. That's really been debunked. Not even really. That has been debunked. And it's unfortunately the biggest debacle, in my opinion, you know, in modern medicine that we've gone from, you know, 99.99% cure of things yeah. like the measles. And now it's becoming, you know, almost epidemic again. It's, well, it's really tragic. Uh, that controversy is almost ex- exclusively about vaccinations in, in very, very young kids. And this vaccination is when you're 14 or 15. Right? It is, but I have no idea, to be honest with you, like if these anti-vaxxers are... You also know, for this. Yeah. I have no I idea. Have, yeah, well, I haven't heard that either. Yeah, before we get into, in, into the 40s... Let me quickly. just point one more thing out. On that 20s thing and even 30s, don't forget, and I can't believe it's not on there, um, testicular exam. I mean, you've got to do a testicular exam. Testicle cancer under from, from 18 to 36 is the number one solid malignancy in men. Number age, one yeah. at the top of the list, higher than any other type of cancer. You name it. Can, you know, we all think about lung cancer, colon cancer, you know, prostate cancer, breast cancer. No, from 18 to 36 in young men, it's testicle cancer is number one for solid malignancies. So a non-solid malignancy would be like leukemia. That's more common. But now solid, I'm, it's testicle. I, <clears throat> so I you got to do testicular exam. 
Yeah, so what I'm wondering, and... Uh, I don't know I, why it's not on I there. agree with you, it should be on here, but what I'm wondering is, this list seems to be about going to your doctor. Is that exam something that is more about a self-exam versus... Both. It's both. No, but as far as I'm concerned, if you go to get a physical and you're 25 years old and your doctor does not do a testicular exam, right. that's malpractice. Okay. I mean, plain and simple. It's, so this it, is a can-do a breast that's exam. A, what's that? Yeah, yeah. All right. Absolutely malpractice not to check for testicular cancer. All right. Good. Good point. Yeah. I like it. And then what do we say for the 40s? All right. So 40s, I'm going to tell you that uh, blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes, still in the list. Yep. Now you have, and STDs, by the way, Mm -hmm. which the uh, NIH says that it depends on your lifestyle and medical history. Okay. But they're still suggesting that. So there are um, one, two, three, four additional ones in your 40s and 50s any any uh, guess what some of them might be well prostate that's one certainly one and we're talking about men and women or just men we're this talking is, about men this, this is, is men's men. health mm-hmm. okay so 40s and 50s 40s and 50s i mean certainly once i don't know if they're considering this as a i would say colonoscopy that's two um you know so we're talking about tests as well is Col- well colorectal yeah. cancer is, is colorectal but, but cancer. yes colonoscopy is what yeah. they're saying is the gold standard i i would say that they should at some point in those years get a chest x-ray they should have a chest x-ray to look essentially for any kind of lung mass. Man, you're right on it. That's number three. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think you were going to get that one. Lung cancer. It lung says cancer. every year a low-dose CT scan starting at age 55 if you have a 30-pack-a-year smoking history or you currently smoke. Oh, okay. Um, or even if you've quit in the last 15 years. So, yeah, you're right in there. Hmm. So there's one more. Um, well, I'm going to I'm gonna acknowledge to everybody that, that GB here allowed me to cheat and he wrote it down because he saw the <laughs> internet there but i guess it's osteoporosis which i would not have guessed I'm i would gonna, not have guessed that i i would turn his microphone off but it wouldn't help okay <laughs> but anyways um, yeah. no that's good yeah, that, yeah that's i didn't know that one. that's hard that, um osteoporosis i don't even i mean there is a type of uh, bone densitometry test you can do to check for bone density i don't know how else they're screening for it other than that test um, and it's, they are acknowledging it's less common in men than women. Yeah. Um, but that's a common thing for women, especially in the oh, late yeah, 40s yeah, yeah. and sure, 50s. Sure, but not osteo- men. Is the osteoporosis. Not men. Well, but I do think what's happening is, especially being here in Southern California, is sunscreens. Mm-hmm. And um, the application of the sunscreens and the prevention of vitamin D. Mm. And and the lack of calcium, that's yeah, that's right? A good point. And that's you know, a, good point. a lot of the waters we're drinking, many mm. people don't drink out of the tap anymore. And, so and let me just and, say, and so I don't know a lack people, of cal- yeah. calcium, and you're not getting the vitamin D that t- to promote the strong yeah. bones. I don't know and if, if everybody understands what you just said, which is an important point, which is that, and, and not just from all the sunscreen, but just from the fact that we all live, you know, often live and work indoors. For those who do that, um, you need sunlight, natural sunlight. Um, uh, and, and really, uh, yeah, you need natural sunlight on your skin. So it's like, you can't just, you know, if, if you're wearing, uh, you know, a long sleeve shirt and long pants, and even if you're bald like me, it's not going to be sufficient. You need sunlight to convert vitamin D in your bloodstream to its active form, um, which I think they call vitamin D3. And that is really critical to, um, <clears throat> to activating the, the bone-forming cells in your bones to create more bony tissue. And if you don't have sufficient uh, active vitamin D, um, your, 
you know, the bone, what's called the resorptive cells, the cells that actually break down bone a little bit. There's sort of a balance between bone forming and bone breakdown. The bone breakdown wins and your bones thin out and you get osteoporosis, which is thin bones and you're prone to fractures. Yeah. The other thing is uh, in the U.S., milk consumption has been on the decrease. Yep, yep. Right? that's true. Yeah. Especially in adults. Yeah. So, so what else do we have? So we're um, we're at sixty and up, and there's really only there's one additional one, which to me seems really relatively tough. But they still are recommending, and I think at this point you're going to your doctor and you're you're getting a lot of this stuff done yeah, anyway, right? You're yeah. getting your cholesterol, your diabetes, your prostate cancer, colorectal cancer. But there's one. I mean, the thing that the thing that you're saying right now. This is it's these are really broad strokes because I could argue, first of all, everybody should have a urinalysis because you should look for microscopic blood in your urine to suggest if you have kidney stones or bladder cancer or things like that. Um, you should have um, there are other kinds of blood tests you should be getting, like liver enzymes should be checked to see if you have any kind of liver disease. Um, there's also um, well, a blood test is going to come back. And any abnormality is going to start sending you down that detective path you've talked it about. It is, but what you don't realize is that um, people think like, well, I must not have this because they took a blood test. And what you have to realize is there's something like a million different blood tests. But, but we what's, do not what's run the standard? all of those tests. You run like maybe 40 of them on a panel, on, on your average screening panel. Mm -hmm. So you're looking like PSA is for prostate cancer. In a man, they would check that. And like liver function tests, LFTs on your annual checkup, they'll do that. Um, and a complete blood count, they'll do that. And your chemistry panel, which will detect if there's kidney function problems, something called a creatinine. And these are um, standard. These that are standard. Run. Okay. That so are, so you know, you're getting it done. You may, you don't even know you're getting. You're right. It. That's right. correct. So that's part of the standard blood panel that you're getting. Yeah. yeah I mean, Assuming you're getting an annual physical. Right. And then the physical itself is screening for stuff. Like when they're checking a reflex with the reflex hand, hammer, right. they're, they're screening you for neurological diseases, yeah. um, things like that. But, well, but, but, but I think what this is saying, and I think what you're also saying, is that there are, there are many people who simply only go to the doctor when they're not they're, feeling right, well. Right. And really what should be part, no different than the maintenance of your car with an oil change, you really should be going into the doctor for an annual physical to get this blood work up and, and, and probably get your skin examined and, you know, and, you're and, missing and all out, of that. You're missing out on early detection. And yeah. early detection is your best chance for cure whatever is going on. So, yeah, you mentioned skin. Like, you're not looking at every surface of yourself. It's very difficult to look at every single surface of your of the skin on your body but it depends somebody, how flexible you are <laughs> but somebody should because you may be developing a small spot that's going to turn into melanoma and you would miss it if you didn't have somebody who is specifically looking for it and i think that's the point of men's health awareness month and women i think i don't have the stats for this but i think they're better at it they i think are. they're better at no going question. to the doctor to yeah. make sure that everything is kind of looking the way it should and men tend but to be a little more squeamish they tend to be a little more heroic in their own health like i don't need that true. And is, is this a fact-based comment or I, not at all? <laughs> it's, I think he's making a subjective assessment uh, based on his own experience of guys in our lives. But I would say anybody listening, including myself, would agree that that's a fair statement. I don't know. I'm always running the doctor. I feel that I spend so much money on health insurance mm -hmm. that I'm just I'm going to make the most out of my health insurance. Mm -hmm. And I'll run to the doctor on anything. Now, I will also say, though, when I was younger... I did not go to the doctor. It's, it's, but, it's, but look, I'll give you an example. 
how how often do you talk to just your average friends and not me, but your average friends about your your bowels? How often do you talk to your average buddy about urination? How often do you talk about any of those things? Ever? I Probably talk, never. I talk to my wife about no, it. No, no, no. I, I didn't say your wife. I said your friends. Okay, now ask your wife, how often do you talk to your friends about any health issue at all? Your I d- breasts I are... I, I, gu- I No, no, I guarantee you, your wife will say... My wife does. You're yeah, absolutely... That's She's my point. That's ch- chat, talking, chatting things up. That women tend to discuss these things way more than men do. And that's why, as JT was saying, it's it's really a problem for men. They don't tend to really think about these things as much as women do. And this list is obviously fairly superfluous, oh, to, yeah. to your point. But the, it's, it is about just bringing up the types of things you should be looking at at different ages. And I'll just throw in the last one here was an ab- abdominal aortic aneurysm is... They're saying wow. <clears throat> 65 to 75, and that's if you've ever smoked. What is um, that? What's an abdominal aortic aneurysm? Yeah. So the aorta, um, uh, I, I'm only surprised that they're putting that on there only because like, I don't think it's that prevalent in that age. I mean, it may be more prevalent, but compared to so many other medical disorders, it's pretty rare. But in any event- Is that a um, heart attack? So no, um, an, aor- an aortic aneurysm, um, if you think about the heart- and the big artery coming out of your heart, okay? So your heart pumps, and it's pumping blood out. Some blood is being brought into your heart. It's the venous blood, the blood that's been deoxygenated by your body. That's coming in through what's called the vena cava. Um, But the blood going out of your heart is going out through something called the aorta, and it's a very muscular tube, right? And so it's strong because it can withstand this intense pressure that your heart is creating, right? Because you don't want it to, like, blow up that tube, right? You don't want that tube to blow up. But what can happen is the walls of that tube in certain segments, like the abdominal aorta, the aorta that's going down your abdomen and eventually spreading off to your legs, for example, that tube can develop weaknesses in the wall of the tube. And as it gets weak, when I I say weak, I mean like it's no, its integrity is lost. And so as the tube gets weak, it doesn't just suddenly blow up. It starts to expand and expands and it expands until you could end up with this, uh, what they call an abdominal aortic aneurysm that could be the diameter of say, um, you know, five inches or six inches. Think about how big that wow. is. So the tube has gone from like a one inch diameter, wow. maybe a one inch to like a six inch diameter tube. And the walls of that tube are thin. I'm getting some palpitations. Yeah. Just so that, that could blow out, that could blow out. And then you would call that a ruptured abdominal aortic aneurysm. But you can screen for it in the doctor's office. They can just screen for it by palpating your abdomen. And if they palpate gently on their abdomen and they feel this pulsation, and especially if they can palpate it uh, as a wide, they put their fingers... Is that what they're doing when they go in my belly? They're doing lots of things. They're feeling for tumors. They're feeling for lots of stuff. But, But they can palpate um, this wide pulsatile mass, it's highly suspicious for an abdominal aortic aneurysm. This, by the way, can also happen in the chest, uh, what's called a thoracic aortic aneurysm, where the aorta is coming out of the heart and coursing down your your chest cavity. And that's what happened to John Ritter from Three's Company. He had a ruptured hmm. uh, thoracic aortic aneurysm, is my recollection. Yeah. yeah. And they're saying for this one, it's if you've ever smoked, you're more at risk. 
Right. Well, smoking weakens your blood vessels and also damages your blood vessels. So that's why you're at more risk for um, high blood pressure, heart attacks, because the arteries in your heart get damaged by the smoking and consequently can also weaken the walls of those arteries well, and you can end up with question. And I, and, I, and I don't know if you'll have the answer on this, but when we talk about smoking, traditionally it's been cigarettes. Right. With the legalization of, of marijuana, there, there's a lot of other smoking going on now. And yeah. So does that... Could that potentially contribute, or is it certain things like nicotine? Yeah, I would say it's not even close to the kinds of risks you're looking at with um, tobacco. So tobacco is really the highest risk because it has tar and nicotine, both. We may need to come back to vaping and marijuana and all sorts of other stuff that's going on out yeah, there in the world. Yeah, for sure. But for uh, sure. that is the end of the list, and I think it's probably a, a good spot for us to, to uh, wrap it for this week. Right on. Gentlemen. Yeah, good show, guys. Thank you. All right. Thanks, All right. Doc. And, uh, you know, get yourself screened. What else can we say? It doesn't matter what age you are. Right on. But it does matter what month. <laughs> well, I'll do it every, do it, do it once a month. <laughs> once a year, it doesn't matter what month. All right, guys. Have a great week. Okay. So that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Two Men and a Doc is hosted by Dr. Michael Hyman, GB, and Jay Tannenbaum. Produced by Jay Tannenbaum. The views and opinions expressed here by Dr. Hyman are based on his medical training and experience, but if you or someone you know are experiencing any medical issues, you should, of course, consult your own physician. We welcome your questions about men's health or anything you've heard on this podcast. So write to us at mail at twomenandadoc.com. That's M-A-I-L at twomenandadoc.com. If you live in the Los Angeles area and want to see Dr. Hyman, you can find his contact info at drhymanla.com. That's D-R-H-Y-M-A-N-L-A.com. And these links are also in the show notes. That's it for this week. See you next time on Two Men and a Doc.